don't know if we've talked about this before. I think I talked about it when I was uh, co-hosting at uh, over at the Forte Catholic Podcast, but I keep thinking about it, and I can't get it out of my head, and it's just, it bothers me so much. Okay. I didn't realize that this was even a thing that happened, but apparently it happens, like, all the time. Okay. You're, you're freaking out here. Yeah. People listen to podcasts at 1.5 times the normal speed. Yeah, don't we, like, talk fast enough already? And not only that, but they listen, some people listen to podcasts at twice the normal speed. Oh, no, I can't say that. No, 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 no. Why? And... And when I, when I talk to people about they act like I'm the crazy person. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. I, I people listen to comedy like, podcasts. Or, or even audio, audiobooks. They'll do this. I'm like, like no. I understand, I understand if you're like, I don't know, maybe cramming for a test and you have some audiobook and you're trying to ram it through your brain. But other than in that, why would you ever do that to yourself? Yeah. I, I, I don't get it because... You're not actually processing the information. You're not actually there's where's the leisure in that? The whole point right, of listening to the podcast is leisure. It also totally removes one of the best parts about podcasts, which is like it's a human experience. Right, exactly. Like part of the reason why we start off our podcast without introducing who we are is one to annoy old people who get very confused as soon as they listen. But also like the listeners invited into our lives exactly. in a very casual sort of way. Exactly. Right? Yeah, we're not That's we're not part of just doing paperwork all the time. We are human beings. Yeah. And we're just chatting and like you're welcomed into this like this kind of like, you know, quasi relationship. Yeah. And to turn up the speed on an audio podcast is to totally alienate it from the human experience and to make it just about information. Uh, to me, to me, it, it's, I'm in 100% agreement with you. And I, I think personally I would actually argue that this might be a mortal sin. Mortal yeah. sin. Yeah. Grave matter, obviously, because you're not listening to our, I mean, especially our podcast. Right. You're not listening to it in the way that God intended. Or how we intended it. Where's the respect for our dignity? So we have This grave- is violating the sanctity of podcasts. Yeah. Really. So there's grave matter. Mm-hmm. And you're clicking that button that says 1.5 times or two times or God forbid and I mean, like, there's a there's a special circle of hell for these people, like three times the speed. Yeah. Okay. So you have the full, you know, uh, it's grave matter. It's full will, and again, you're pressing that. You're knowing what you're doing. Uh, you're doing it with your own free will. It, it's all three qualities right there. Mortal sin. Just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. And if you listen, if you listen to so many podcasts that you have to, yeah, speed them up to get them all done in a week, you're listening to too many podcasts. Yeah. It's a Ditch Taylor's podcast. Ditch Taylor's podcast. Ditch <laughs> Father Mike Schmitz. I mean, come on. What, is, what does he do? He's a hack. Come on. What does he do? Read how the many, Bible for a how year? How many? Come on. Oh, how look is that at content? Me. I could read the catechism now. Yeah. Wow. You're good do? at reading, Father Mike. Congratulations. Great. Congratulations. Right? Bravo. Ridiculous. Yeah. Like, stop listening to all those true crime podcasts. That's like terrible, morbid curiosity. That can't be good for your soul. Like sports podcasts, sports are already a national cult and religion. You need to pull yourself away from that. So basically, like delete all of that other junk and take your time and enjoy at a human speed this episode of Clerically Speaking. Hi, I'm Father Anthony. I am Father Harrison. I just got to give you kudos. Like I saw that coming about a minute ago. 
Yeah. But I was just like, this is going to be the best transition into our introduction ever. And it was. It really, it, it really was. It really was. You, you, uh, it paid off. It paid I'm off. I'm very happy with it. Okay, good. Father Harrison, my good friend, are you back in Canada? I am. Yes. It's been kind of crazy. My life's just crazy this year. I'm just accepting this. But, um, yeah, I'm back in Canada, just getting over a cold that I am arguing I got from Jean-Luc Marion. Jean-Luc? Jean-Luc. Of the, of the Star Trek Enterprise. No, no but it's, you got he, a space he's not cold. part of that phenomenon. Okay. But he loves phenomenon because he's a phenomenologist. Mm-hmm. Boo. It's, it's, I don't know. Uh, so I'm kind of getting over it because he's, he's a, I, I was joking with friends about this. I said, if you ever watched Seinfeld... Uh, he's definitely a close talker, mm, mm-hmm. and he's a sidler. So, like suddenly, what? suddenly he's like next to you in your face, talking yeah. to you about his apple trees in France. Mm-hmm. But he was fighting a cold that weekend, so I'm pretty uh, sure mm-hmm. I got it from him. So yeah, no, I, I was away for two weeks there. So I think last time we checked in, I was in New Jersey, uh, New Jersey, yeah, New Jersey. So at the last there, that was great. And then uh, a friend of the show, Dylan. Vitai gave me a pick me up in New Jersey and we drove up to Rochester for the 50th anniversary of Communio Conference and I met I'm not even going to give all the names because I didn't get a chance to write them all down but I think I met like six to eight people who listen to the podcast and this is that's cool listen there's about a hundred people at this in person at the conference Mm -hmm. And, and like this show moves product folks Oh, yeah, it does. That's true. I met six people who came in person from out of town to this conference because they heard about it on our podcast. That is that is crazy. We were responsible. Well, if you conclude me, seven, yeah. we were responsible for 7% of attendance at that conference. Impressive. That's impressive not, stuff. Not, not, not too shabby, eh? Yeah. No. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of an amazing weekend, <laughs> to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh I gotta be careful not to like gush about it for too long here, but no, they did. So this is at St. Bernard's, uh, a little Catholic college in uh, Rochester, New York, uh, um, and they did a bang up job. And it was in celebration of the 15th anniversary of the journal Communio, which we, you and I both are subscribers to. In fact, correct, Communio even had a booth there, which I was very grateful for because there was one edition from last year that I was missing, and it was like the one I needed. But it's so ex- freaking expensive to get it shipped to Canada. It was the one on yeah. mediation. And I got it there. Oh yeah, Finally, that's like what you need that one. Your whole PhD on. <laughs> um, like there was one problem with it is that there were too many good talks at once, and you couldn't go to all of them. Ooh, rough. But they're also amazing because they're trying to mm-hmm. do hybrid in-person digital stuff. They recorded all the talks and they sent oh, them out cool. to all the the attendees, so you can watch the talks you wanted to rewatch or or you missed, which I'm really grateful for. So, um. And I mean, oh, so at the Saturday Night Mass, Father Jacques Servet, who is the one who runs the Casa Balthazar in Rome, and... Okay, are all the priests in this situation French? No, Jean-Luc Marion's not a priest, but yes, there oh, were three... Oh, he's just a dude. No, uh, uh, and Father Jacques is Belgian. Ah, uh, okay. Yes, just because you have a French last... Listen, listen. What? Just because you have a French last name doesn't mean you're from France, Okay. I, I mean, okay, I'm okay, okay. Like, I'm sorry, like, sorry, like, all you like, French last name people. So my my mom's maiden name is Bouchard, and uh, uh-huh. so I well, mean, you're French Canadian, right? Half French Canadian. I always mm-hmm. say half English, half French, so I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> so 
At the end of the mass, Father Survey pulls this little sheet from underneath the missile stand. Ooh. He got a message for us from Pope Benedict. For real? Yeah. I was like kind That's of tearing. So cool. I was kind of tearing up a little bit at that moment. I was like, "This is kind of amazing!" Oh my gosh! He didn't have a lot to say because he, he actually like it was it was through Archbishop Gainswang, who who got got the message to Father Survey. Yeah. Uh, but just you know, saying you know, continue to think with the church. I'm grateful that you're there. I'm not. <laughs> my I'm brothers not, I'm not and well sisters in though. Christ. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I am very. I am oh, a very no. old man, and I am glad that the journal is still uh, doing journalistic things. I am going to play some piano and pet this cat and drink a beer in your honor. Thank you and blessings. <laughs> so he he actually said in the note, and this is like the sad part, I guess, in a way, because, you know, he's my, he's my homeboy. He's my boy. Yep. Uh, he, you know, he said, I'm not well enough to be able to compose something uh, more in honor of your gathering. Mm. But Right. Um, he totally would if he could. Oh, yeah. It was, that was kind of unexpected <sighs> and everything. So yeah. I mean, so I met like half the theologians there. I, I've already known through Twitter in some former fashion. So that was really cool to meet up all these people. Most of them were like young theologians. Like we're talking not, we're not talking, like most of them were just like like early 40s and under, which is, wow. yeah. So that was kind of cool. Lots of staying up way too late. Did not get a lot of sleep that weekend. So I, I blame both Jean-Luc Marion <laughs> and the lack of sleep. Uh, for Fair the cold. enough. Um, yeah. And I got to what else oh my gosh uh, I mean there's so much to say there I got some really cool things confirmed my thesis I was talking to one Ratzinger scholar there who's knows his stuff and I said so this is what I'm doing my thesis and his mm -hmm. eyes lit up he goes this is one of the most important things in Ratzinger this is like this is like everything that you like in one like you had people yeah, yeah. and philosophy and Ratzinger and Communio all in one fun couple of days. That's the like And like at the end of the conference we're all sitting around eating lunch and I'm sitting there with Jean Duchesne who so Jean Duchesne and, and Jean Luc Marion are part of the founders of the French Communio. Because there's okay. eleven different editions and uh makes sense. So Jean Duchesne though is also the executor of Louis Bouillet's literary estate. Okay. So Bouillet is a big big name in, in communal circles and everything. And he's a good liturgist. And there he is just like rattling off stories about Bouye on the concilium after the council and all the problems that he came in. The reason he kind of stayed on was mostly to help reduce the damage, mm -hmm. <laughs> which was like, this is so fascinating. Yeah. This is so cool. Like, like, and like, I guess for me in the end, what, where it was an experience of communion, obviously, but, and I bought way too many books because CUA press was there having crazy good deals yeah, Ignatius they got Press stuff. is there uh, with some of the new books I didn't have yet by Bouillet and stuff. So, but they were also really good deals. So I'm like, I mm -hmm. spent way too much money on books. I walked away from the weekend honestly and truly. It felt like a historic weekend. Yeah, because it was one of those times where I think a lot of these theologians in this school of thought, if you will, uh, we're all in our own little corners of the world or North America, and you can mm -hmm. feel alone and isolated in this. But we realized, wait. There's a lot of us who really believe this is something important and worthy of giving our whole life to in our theological careers. And I think that was something really profound. Um, and so it was just a very life-giving uh, uh, weekend. Uh, we'll end it all. We were so, because, so I got hats off to everyone on the, 
the St. Bernard's team staff. I know some of them do listen to the podcast. So, so uh, Daniel married Claire, Claire Drain. So I went out to Chick-fil-A with his wife on the Monday, which I was very happy with. They're both <laughs> listeners to the podcast. Uh, she said, nice. uh, it's so weird to hear you in my car because I hear you in my car every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, Matthew Kuhner, who's the Dean of Theology there, who hosted a few of us at his house afterwards. And like, so this is the best part of the story, I guess, is, is uh, I, 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 I kind of observed it from a distance. Um, one of the pro- the scripture profs at, at there was Jean-Luc Marion's asking him, so tell me more about bourbon. And so this, he's telling him about bourbon and everything. And Bourbon. What is this bourbon that the Americans like? No, listen. Jean-Luc Marion is like the epitome of everything we stereotype French people for. Good. In the best possible way. Well, he also, he lives in, like he, he taught at University of Chicago for a long time. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, anyways. So he says, so uh, what is Was he the, smoking a cigarette is, as he talked about bourbon with you? A pipe. And really often in places that he shouldn't be. Oh, good. At least it was in places he shouldn't be. Amazing. Uh, yes. Um, so he's, he says, well, what is the cheapest bourbon? And, and this man says, well, fireball. And he says, well, what is his fireball? And, and so he tells him. He says, <laughs> so it would don't, like put me on the floor fireball. and make me die? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, pretty much. And so, and so this guy dropped off a little bottle of, of fireball at his hotel door that night. <laughs> That's great. No one knows if you tried it or not. So I thought he has to experience That's the phenomenon. That's a terrible introduction to bourbon, though. <laughs> well, I, oh, no, he had other bourbons that day. Don't worry. Good, good, Anyways, good. Anyways, it was a great time. Sorry, I talked way too long here. I could talk more, but kudos. Yeah. St. Bernard's, by the way, just a great school. And if you're looking, they also do a lot of online stuff. I, this, they're not even asking me to do this. I am doing this because I had a really good experience there. And, and they do a lot of online uh, formation, too. You can take stuff from distance with live with the classes. So you're you're just as much a part of the class if you're not there physically. And they do really good stuff, and I was really impressed with the teachers there. So, you know, go check them out. St. Bernard's Rochester. I was just super impressed, and I think good. we need we need good schools like this out there, and I think they deserve they deserve all the recognition they can get. Excellent. Yeah, um, we don't do advertisement or anything on the no. show, but I do have to uh, plug something that's important. So uh, mm. our we do have a Patreon. Uh, patreon.com slash which we're really bad about yeah patreon.com slash clerically speaking um, and I'm going to be upfront with you guys you're not going to get bonus content if you donate to us probably not um, you're not going to probably get stickers or anything else you're, you're probably going to get nothing well we can send out some stickers once in a while but it's like if there's new people because we do that we didn't do right. that for a while I'm just saying I know a lot of like professionally run podcasts who like they they give stuff for their Patreon supporters, and that's great. Father Harrison and I can't promise any more content than what we normally put out, right? But the reason why I would like you very much, if you're able to, and if you're not able to, just listen to the podcast. If all you can do is listen, then that's great. We're happy not to keep doing this. Yeah, but the thing is, we pay uh, producer Nick to edit each episode. And a lot of it's times, lot we of are throwing him curveballs. We are asking him to do... <laughs> last second bumpers and it is a lot of work and he does an excellent job and so it's only right that we pay him every week right now where we're at our patreon um and it's goofy the way the taxes and stuff work we can't pay him for a year and pay the taxes on our patreon so right if you are able to if you can if you're willing to donate a dollar a month five dollars a month whatever you can 
uh, that would be great just to keep the podcast going. For Father Harrison and I, yeah. we don't we don't make any money off of this. We will never make any money off of this. We don't, we want, don't want to. to. We do this. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's why terrified. we're kind of bad about. That's why we're also kind of bad about promoting the Patreon because right, we don't we think about it. Don't see it because we don't. It have doesn't affect our lives. <laughs> we don't have. A but kid it does affect. Feed. Yeah, yeah, it does affect uh, Patricia Nick and Patricia Riley because like they, yeah. they do. They both actually put in a lot of time. Yeah, in this. Riley does all uh, of our comm stuff for us. Like our, she's always mm-hmm. on top of the emails and everything like this, forwarding us stuff as best as we can be on top of it ourselves. And then and yeah. Nick, I mean, Nick's already working a more than full time job doing youth ministry if not but only getting paid for full time and then doing right, this of course on top of this takes because it takes a couple hours a week for him just to produce right there yeah right mm-hmm. so so anyway if you can uh please do so uh and you have our thanks also just so you guys know we always pray for everyone who listens to the show everyone who donates to the show yeah. um that's not a reason to give us money but just so you know we, we really do appreciate you yeah. if, even if all you can do is listen that's great we're happy yeah. to have you we're not going to be plugging this all the time because that's kind of annoying. But uh, producer Nick Bruss like, hey, guys, you can't pay me and pay taxes on Patreon right now with what we have. So I'm like, okay, we'll talk about it. Yeah. So and just I get it. thanks I, a whole bunch. I'll just say, put like a little, I, I think, too, it's like for some people, it's it's like inflation is making things more expensive. Yeah, so I absolutely. Get it. We, get it. we get it. But it's like, you know, if we can get $20, $10 donators more, we're I think we're yeah. okay. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, we just want to make sure that Nick's getting his, Nick and Riley get, get what they deserve for all the work they do behind the scenes to make this yeah. happen so don't feel guilty just yeah. feel slightly pressured yes is that what that's we want <laughs> that's what priests do best yeah good all right um and also i think i don't know if we made this clear the reason why we didn't have an episode last week was because father harrison was gallivanting well, was with theologians back, but it was crazy busy uh, yeah and back. then also i will talk about this uh, later on in the show but i was at my uh, priest clergy convocation which i'll explain that but first first we do provide more than just entertainment on this podcast. We also solve theological emergencies. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial one at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological emergency. We'll take your call at 412 412- Nine one two seven nine nine five. Hi, fathers. Um, this is Petunia from Nebraska. Um, my question is: When you, the priest, are saying mass, which hosts get? Uh, Consecrated? Is it only the hosts on the altar? Um, what if, like, you forget the hosts on, like, the credence table? Or, like, in one case, if you forget, like, a cyborium of hosts in the sacristy, do those get consecrated too if they were in the sacristy, but you just forgot them, but they were meant for your very large mass? Um, just curious how that works because I know mistakes happen people are people but also like just one mass one Sunday mass I was wondering if I accidentally might have received an unconsecrated host anyway that's my question thanks so much fathers we both love the podcast and uh, thank you for all the good work you do please pray for us we're praying for you bye well first of all who is us yeah, this I only heard one so name. so-called Petunia from Nebraska. Well, she sounded very hesitant there. about both those facts. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm very doubtful. She's like, this is Petunia, Petunia from, from Nebraska. Nebraska. Totally fake name and place. Yeah. Both neither of that name or place exists. But this question is a delightful question. Father Harrison, do you want to take uh, a first swing at it? I mean, in the end, it's like what I intend to consecrate. And so do I. Yeah. And for me, what it is, is whatever I put on my altar. Uh, I mean, I am always hesitant. Like, I, like when I say mass at home, for example, I don't like. I'll just put some wine in the chalice before I start. I don't keep a little cruet on my alt, my little home altar, because I'm mm-hmm. like, no, not consecrating that. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I, it's it's like I don't like anything. If it's on the altar, it's what I intend to consecrate. Essentially, uh, you can't really consecrate. You can't say, oh, I intend all the hosts in the sacristy. It's like, well, no, no, like that's there's there's something about the closeness, right, and the effects of the words over the elements. I think so. I think they always have to be within a a closeness to you, a physical closeness. I would even say not even on the credence table, um, unless like the credence table is next. I think say the altar, because the whole point of the altar is the sacrifice. Like if, there's, if a priest isn't doing that, he's putting something like, on a credence table, I don't even know why he would do that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Can he attend right. it? Maybe, I guess. I've never really thought of that, because like, why would he just put it on the altar? Like, mm-hmm. isn't this what we're supposed to do? Like, yeah. why don't we just do what we're supposed to do? Uh, but the, the second <laughs> thing is, if you're free, yeah, you, you, you received an unconsecrated host. I mean, well, you didn't do that on purpose. That's not your fault. That's the priest's fault in that case, maybe. Um, yeah, like I, when I've had masses before where someone doesn't put out the right amount of hosts or something like that, I'll say, go get more hosts or go get me a support with some hosts or something from the sacristy, bring it over to the altar uh, because that's the only way it's, I'm going to ensure it's getting consecrated. Plus mm-hmm. the people, I think there's something about people like being able to see that the consecration happened for the things that are on the altar. It gives them a sense of a confirmation, right? So I think there's something to that too. Yeah, so it's definitely about the priest's intent. Um, when I was in seminary, it's funny, it's things that we talk about and things that we don't talk about, but basically it was one of my formators who said, make a general, make an act of general intention that you plan on consecrating everything that's on the corporal on the altar. Just do that in general. Yeah, I mean that's which I thought was a good idea. So like you know, in my priesthood, I always intend to consecrate the hosts that are on the corporal right or altar. Um, So you don't have to have in your mind the intention of each and every single individual host. You don't have to like see them or visualize them. But you're like, like you said, this is what's on the altar. This is what I intend to consecrate. Though I have had situations where goofy stuff has happened. Um, There was one time where the altar. I didn't realize that there was another ciboria on the credence table, uh, the altar service forgot to bring it up. And they mentioned like, oh, hey, what about this Saboria? This is after, uh, it's when I'm getting ready to distribute after I've consecrated the host. I said, absolutely not. I did not even know that those hosts existed. I did not intend to consecrate them. They are just regular bread. Bring it to the sacristy right now and put a note on it. So we're just not confused about the situation. Uh, There was another time where it was a big uh, mass at our cathedral and uh, this was this was a few years ago before COVID and stuff. This was a big mass, and apparently there were a bunch of um, saboria. And for people who don't know, saboria are basically that gold container full of hosts. There are a bunch of them on a table that wasn't brought to the altar. But we had concelebrating priests all over the place, and a group of concelebrating priests saw that table, saw those hosts, and purposefully consecrated them, like they had the intention. <laughs> Okay. Um, to consecrate that. So like, no, no, don't worry. We ended up consecrating these. They're good to go. Um, it's because they were off to the side because yeah. it's a weird configuration. They saw these things out, <laughs> host off to the side. So it's like, there has to be a real kind of intention there. And that's a goofy thing that doesn't normally happen. Um, so 
a little what weird. Not, but I guess that's, that's the weird. That's the word. That's where I get a little weirded out by con celebration sometimes though too, because it's yeah. like, but you're con celebrating at the main celebration. What, what if, if the main celebrant didn't intend those? Like this is these are questions. I don't, I don't have an answer honestly. Sure. Um, it's just a these are this is why I think con celebration get weird too. Mm-hmm. And I think it should be more minimal than it is sometimes. <laughs> uh, sure. But uh, yeah, Bishop totally. You, you're there with your Bishop. But um, that's my question. Like, But if the main celebrate isn't intending those, are they part of the sacrifice? I think yes. Because if you think, of, okay, so it might be um, what happened there may be um, illicit, illicit in the sense that it broke liturgical norms and laws, right? But a priest who is saying the mass, who has the intention to consecrate those hosts, just because yeah. they're not on the altar. I mean, they're right. definitely consecrated. It's definitely not ideal. Right. But like, I can't see no, how. I, I, I would lean your right. direction, honestly, in that. I'm just like, but we, we haven't like created a theology of what concelebration is actually meant to mean or look like mm-hmm. or how intention. The church has li- issued no norms at all on how, like, how laws, do the, laws exist yeah. only when crazy weird stuff happens and so like sure. my question becomes why isn't there liturgical norms around intention and 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 in concelebrated masters just nothing there's just nothing no one's thought about asking the questions that's interesting okay okay so let's play with this a little bit because now i'm intrigued so in my understanding and this is what they, it's, it's fascinating what you are taught and what you're not taught in seminary and you're not um, like taught i a give lot. you you're not taught a lot you're taught a lot of interesting stuff but not necessarily practical stuff. Right. Right. So I can tell you about the development of liturgy, all this stuff. But anyway, so concelebration. The idea behind it is that there is one priesthood in Jesus Christ. And so mm-hmm. particularly when you're with your bishop, but also when you're with other priests, it makes sense that you are all participating together in that one priesthood of Jesus Christ. It's a reflection of that. So you do not need to say your own separate mass because we as priests... Share mm-hmm. one priesthood, right? That's kind of like the idea, mm-hmm. I assume. Yeah. Oh no, I, I get it. It's just right, right. So, but that 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 idea becomes a little bit wonky if you don't have all the priests celebrating with the same intention. Right? Exactly. Exactly. That's weird. So you're suddenly seeing. That's my thing. I guess you're, I'm glad you're putting it this way because it's like you're getting into my intuition is that it's not a unified act anymore. Yeah. It's kind of like two masses going on at the same exactly. time. Yep. Yep. But that that's also weird because the priests aren't all saying like so if you can celebrate you don't say all the words of the prayer. You uh like right. so like if we can celebrate with 40 priests, not all 40 priests are going to say all the words of the prayer. There'll be particular concelebrants right. that take particular spots. Yeah. That's weird. And so yeah. That's just I, I, I would actually tend to your first answer on this, honestly. Sure. I think, I mean, yeah. I think, I think it would be valid, but illicit. Uh, yeah. But doesn't exist out there at all, to my knowledge. I could be wrong. Some liturgical nerd might have something on this, or, or God forbid, a canonist uh, might have something on this. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but it's, it's just, these are the, que- I, we have to ask, like, because, yeah, we have to ask questions like this is like, there's, a good theology like because uh, if there's not a good theology for this or or if that's the theology we're acting out of then i would say the church has to actually put up principles and norms to actually exclude such such actions as consecrating separate hosts for different things because yeah. i would say the theology is the one priesthood doing its work right then and there 
I'm fine with that, but then it has to be a unified action. Mm-hmm. And the and church could even th- and the church could even say, if it's not intended by the main celebrant, it's not it's not valid. Mm-hmm. He could the church could say that. Yeah, yeah, and who knows? And what does that actually? That's that's crazy because that's almost like invalidating the power of each individual priest in this sort of way. Not necessarily. I wouldn't say. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I'm thinking off the top of my head here. This is becoming a bit yeah, of Yeah, we're just messing with It's like, with it's like right a now. melding of our two segments now. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I, I think it's it's one of those situations where um, it's not saying, it's not invalidating the priesthood. It's saying, but for the priesthood to be properly exercised in a concelebrated mass, it needs to be unified with the main celebrant, who mm-hmm. is to be the bishop. And if the bishop's not, in, you intend what the bishop intends or the main celebrating mm-hmm. priest or whatever, right? I think I think that, and if you're not doing that, and if and so, if he's not intending that, then it's, it can't be intended. Now, again, I think you're right. I think where the church would say, "Listen, that's really illicit, but it's, yeah. it's still valid because yeah, of orders, right?" So, but we need a th- we, this. This is the this is why. I think a lot of stuff we've done a lot of pragmatic things with liturgy that we haven't actually taken seriously theologically to see if this is actually workable or not in this regard um well so i'll know what uh when eventually uh i do my phd it'll be on concelebration but um <laughs> don't, don't from a canonical or liturgical door. perspective Ooh, it would have to be liturgical perspective okay um with in- canonical implications anyway let's not wish that upon me because one no, that God, seems no. like a, anyway um uh <laughs> now i'm freaking out no uh, but okay to wrap up uh the question is there, let's just say, I don't know your situation, so-called Petunia from so-called Nebraska. Um, is there a chance that you received an unconsecrated host at Mass? Yeah, there's a chance. Um, but the point is, if it's at Sunday Mass, you attended Mass, you fulfilled your obligation, there is still so much grace, infinite grace, coming from simply attending the sacrifice of the Mass. Um, and you're not, and, and God is ultimately in charge of things. While you may not have received the sacrament, God's going to take care of you for a week. So I wouldn't stress about yeah. it. Um, and there's but, still grace uh, yeah. from the mass itself. Yes, exactly. Because right? yeah, the yeah. Eucharist and the mass are intimately united with each other, but it, the grace of the mass is not uniquely and only uh, mediated through the Eucharist. Absolutely. And so for Petunia and whoever else apparently was asking that question, unknown person, thanks for the question. Um one more thing with that though because I think okay. it kind of p- plays into all this is like do you ever feel guilty like when some unconsecrated hosts like fall on the floor and you just throw them out I, I don't I eat them oh because my fear is that somebody will see an unconsecrated host in the garbage and freak out oh no then I had to make sure to throw other stuff on top of it just so they don't freak out to hide it yeah no but it's, it's super weird because I, I, know. I mean it's like it's just bread folks it means it nothing. is just bread but here's the thing you can't see <laughs> It looks just the I same. I know. Or like if so there's someone going yes, around, I get very like freaked a out. sacristan, I'll say, hey, uh, you'll see it in the garbage. It's not consecrated. Don't worry. Like, because like sometimes I've had to cut, I used to have to cut for something like uh, for adoration and sometimes with the old Luna. Fit it in the Luna. Mm-hmm. I'd have to cut around it. I'm like, if you see that, that's just what that is. It's not conse- consecrated. Don't worry. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm literally so paranoid. I'll receive it. I'll just I'll just eat it. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you're not even like receiving it. It's just like you're eating some bread, yeah. eating but bad then you're bread. You're breaking your fast, Father Anthony. Um, it depends on what mass. If I've already said the mass, oh, I know, I know. I've said so many masses. So many <laughs> usually. Masses. Okay, cool. Okay, well, thanks, guys. We've got we've got some uh, new content to go through, but yes, keep them coming. 
I saw some good ones. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm -hmm. oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn oh, 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 it's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best part. Oh, yes. yes, quite. yes. So what I, I want to do today, Father Harrison, yeah. is kind of reflect on my experience at my triannual clergy convocation, which I believe triannual can either mean three times in one year, but in this case it means once every three years. I don't know if there's different words for that, but uh -huh. anyway. So every three years, uh, the priests in my diocese of Pittsburgh, we get together, we go to this place um, in West Virginia called Ogilvie, yep. or Ogilvie, Ogilvie, whatever. And it's kind of like this nice, it's like a little resort, basically like some cabins, a kind of a relatively nice hotel. There's golf mm -hmm. courses and stuff, and it's a neat place to go to. Mm -hmm. And so we all get together, and we have different events throughout the year. Like we have Advent Vespers and Lenten Vespers and different times when the diocese will get together. Uh, but the the convocation is kind of like the big one. You'll see priests there who you don't see anywhere else. Right. Um, so um, I was lucky where like my first year ordained was one of the convocation years. So this so this time it was my third time going. Uh -huh. Few things I noticed just personally. Like I don't know Father Harrison how you feel. But um, it's amazing to reflect on how much more comfortable I am as a priest. Right. Six years, you seven years in, than the first, like, handful of years, right? Right. Like, I remember my first year being, like, totally feeling like a fish out of water. Even though all the other priests were totally just welcoming me as one of the guys. Right. We're kind of like priestly teenagers now. Yes, we are priestly teenagers. You're, you're kind of entering to maturity, but you're also... You're still a little awkward about some things. You're still trying to find right. your groove. You definitely think you know what you're doing much more than you actually know what you're doing. At least right. for me. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel much more comfortable, even if I don't actually know what I'm doing. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yep. Kind of like a teenager. Um, but it's, it's way better. And this is, I mean, this is a thing. For the seminarians who listen and other priests who listen, this is one thing I've noticed that... Um, the first few years as a young priest, they, they can be really, really difficult. Yeah. So don't feel bad if you have a really rough first five years. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's one thing that catches little guys by surprise. Like, I had a really rough first bunch of years. Um, now, it's different for you, Harrison, because you've been thrown into pastor land pretty early on. Yeah. Um, and that's its whole other weird adventure of difficulty. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh... And it's one of those things where it's literally, oh, here's a deep end. And they just like drop you and they yeah. like to see if you'll survive or not. Right. But that's pretty much like I had a conversation with someone at the seminary when I was there for doing my studies. And I said, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, we our seminary did a really good job preparing us to be priests, but pastors, I don't, I feel like there's some work to be done. And they said, well, no, no, we prepare you to be pastors. And I was like, no, you don't actually no, you and don't. Like, like honestly no. and i don't know if that's i think honestly what needs to be spoken at seminary is to say it's not our intention to form you as pastors because maybe there's a few things we can form you generally but being a pastor in a particular diocese even because we have a regional seminary is different for each place yeah so absolutely um and it really is so like how i'm a pastor here versus how i'd be a pastor in vancouver is just totally different so I don't expect that of them. I just think what needs to be spoken is to say, yeah, you're going to be made a pastor pretty quick and we can't prepare you for that, but you need to talk to your bishops, 
chanceries, blah blah blah. Because yeah, otherwise they just throw you in the deep end and and, and try to survive. Yeah. It's like you know, it's like it's like Jim Gaffigan's bit about you know what's it like having five kids. It's like imagine having, imagine drowning and someone hands you a baby. Say like it's like yeah. being a pastor. What's it like being a pastor? It's like imagine you know. Uh, uh, drowning, but then someone hands you a parish, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's something yeah, similar. I, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, I just felt this time just much more comfortable with the guys, with yeah. the fellow priests. Yep. One, I know a lot more. Um, even some of the older guys or guys that I didn't go to seminary with, I've just seen them around more. Maybe I've worked with them more. Um, I just felt very much at home, which was just nice. Yeah. Um, and we were blessed to have Bishop uh, Hebda. Bishop Hebda, who used to be a priest of our diocese and actually was our auxiliary bishop for a while and is now the Archbishop of Minneapolis, I think. Okay. So it was kind of cool to have this Pittsburgh guy come back to Pittsburgh to give the talks. Right. But there's some things that I was bothered by. Okay. Because um, he began by kind of talking about to, about the old days, making references to you know priests who had passed on or previous bishops and stuff, and you'd always get like really hearty chuckles from the older guys. Now, don't get me wrong, that's great for them to be able to reminisce and that kind of thing. Um, but there's this feeling I'm getting that I'm not sure if it's understood by bishops or by an older generation of priests. Um, Definitely by some, but I don't think by all. That um, I have never experienced and never will experience the church that they grew up in. Right. You know, one of the questions we asked was, in our small group discussions, was how do you deal with disillusionment? Mm. Which is a fun question. But part of my brain was, and I shared this with the guys, I haven't had many illusions to be honest, mm-hmm. like when I was in seminary, they were preparing us, not preparing us, but like I thought for sure the way things were going on in my diocese that within two years, I would be the pastor of like three or four parishes. Um, instead, we ended up doing this huge um, reorganization. We closed a lot of parishes, merged a lot of parishes, right? So I'm, I'm still blessed to be a parochial vicar. Um, but there's never been a realistic or set ideal or understanding or landscape of what parish life would be like in my diocese for me. Mm-hmm. It is constantly changing. Um, there's a, a priest buddy of mine who's been ordained eh, maybe three or four years longer than I have. Um, so let's say he's been ordained like 10, 11, 12 years and um, has had like 15 assignments in that time. Wow. Like there, there is no stability for that guy. Uh, and then other people have for t- to different extents um, that we don't have a stable understanding of what it means to be a parish priest in my diocese. I don't know what's like for for you guys or for you growing up or you talking to your older guys or what that's like for you. I don't have any older guys much to talk up to in this diocese. Like, this is the thing. The guys who really built up this diocese. Yeah, and who know like what it was like, and it's, yeah, it's <laughs> the history of my diocese is just so unique, honestly. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't, I even struggle to know what the glory days, if they ever existed. Hmm. Um. But like, no, we had well, we had a whole group of older, pre- but they they all died in the last ten years, right? Mm-hmm. The, the priests who really, and they were, they were the the pillars that built this place up in many ways. Who built new parishes, who helped expand when new cities were starting to open up in the fifties and sixties. They were there. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's there aren't like I said before. I think there's ten active incarnated priests in my diocese, and two of them aren't originally from here. Actually, no, sorry, mm-hmm. three of them aren't. One's from the province, but the other two are from out of country. They've changed incarnation to us. So of the ten incarnated clergy, like even then, I didn't grow up here. Right. Yeah. I didn't go to church. I, I mean, I've now been here longer than I've I was ever on the mainland. The other priest father, David, he grew up in Winnipeg, and he didn't become a Catholic till university. So like you start to dwindle it down. It's like there's just and I think actually I wonder. Hmm, that's actually interesting because I mean, I'm starting to wonder now. It's like as you pose this question, like we don't really have many people that really hand on the story of the past of this diocese anymore. Right. And that's not good. Yeah. I mean, for several reasons. Um, one, because, you know, if, if there isn't like a history, if you don't know the history of whatever company you work for, um, if you don't have a deep connection to that, that's kind of who cares, you know? Um, but not having a understanding of your family's history or your spouse's family history, that can that can make things more difficult. And I think that's where a lot of people our generation kind of are in general. I think it's not particular to just to millennial priests, but to millennials in general. Um, that there's kind of a not feeling like we have a story, if that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why, like, yeah. Which is why there's a, a. I think this is one of the reasons why, and I think this is something that we don't. <laughs> It's interesting how you're putting it, actually, because I was actually thinking about this this morning about like why do, are there reactionisms in the church towards quote unquote rad trad things, right? I was thinking about this myself. I'm like, well, it's simple. No one has passed on a story about where they come from, a narrative, and the extraordinary form of the mass presents some, at least in their eyes, a sense of stability in the sense in the midst of a radically constantly changing world, where yes. there's even the liturgy is something stable. Right, and I need that. Now, it may not be as stable as they thought it was. Um, sure. Right, but I get so I get that. Right, I really do get that, and I don't think the older generations sometimes think about that. They are used to being handed on stories, but we aren't. Right, we're, we're more isolated and atomized today, and so then they get frustrated when young people like this is. I think there there are some unspoken things that haven't been properly handed on. And it's a big reason for generation gaps. And we need to be better. A, we want to listen. We need to actually listen ourselves as younger people, for example. I do not agree with some of the more liberal things I experience in parish or diocesan life sometimes. But I also try my hardest to hear where they're coming from and why they're doing it. Because this, this place really is their parish too. And this diocese is their diocese too. Um, but it's also the older generation needs to listen to why young people, for example, go to the Latin mass and why that's important to them. And sometimes they'll give, I think, superficial reasons. But I think, I think honestly, truly, fundamentally, it's this, no one has told us who we are because no one has told us where we come from. And, and no one in the church is hearing that and that's not good yeah. and the only way we get to some sort of understanding of where we come from is not from a lived tradition but from a written tradition that we learn about the latin mass and we learn about the church fathers from basically books yeah you know and there's something good about that but when you lose the living tradition yeah. there's something lost in translation um, and also the, the difficulty is 
you know, we look back at, let's just say pre-Vatican II, and older generation can look back at pre-Vatican II, and they have totally different understandings of it. One of the things that shocked me as a young, young and albeit a young and very stupid seminarian, which I think everyone, every good priest, you should be a young and stupid seminarian at one point in your life. Oh, yeah. It's good for your formation. But anywho, like, you know why I wanted to wear a cassock as a young seminarian? Why? Because it looked really freaking cool. I hadn't seen anything like it. And if I'm going to do something crazy, like become a priest, might as well dress crazy, right? right. And is that a super, you know, uh, is that a shallow reason why you want to wear a cassock? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is it a bad reason? Not necessarily. Right. It's just kind of it's useful. Right? It's just as shallow so, as the person who, as the priest who likes to wear like Hawaiian shirts all the time. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, <laughs> we can get to that. That's a very good point. Because they want to be just one of the dudes. It's like, why is right. that a thing that right. you care yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, right. Um, but I, what shocked me was that like when older generations saw young guys in the cassock, they were horrified because they do have trauma Absolutely. from that time. Yes. It Seminaries were not all that great back then, folks. Like, there's a no. reason crap went down after the council in the last 50 years. Yeah. And, and you know, that's one thing. Like, one of the things I really delight in, and actually, producer Nick has this scheme that we're eventually hopefully going to do is actually we're going to try to interview some of the older guys mm. in my diocese and just get their, even if we don't publish them or anything, just kind of get their stories on tape because it's a whole different universe that they grew up in. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's, uh, oh, where was I going? You're talking about the you wearing a cassock. Was that a was that a was that a self like was that a superficial reason? Yeah. Was it yeah. wrong? Not necessarily. And right. you're just talking about and the just, reactionism again in this about how some priests would just get frustrated by, by this because of their own traumas from their own time in the yeah. priesthood. And so a part of the reason why the story wasn't passed on to us was that their oh. own lived experience of their story was they hated it. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted something new. So of course they weren't going to pass it on. And the problem is they left us with no understanding of who we are. Right. You know, you, in order to know your history, you, it's important to learn the good, bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. As I've personally learned more and more of my family's good and bad and ugly, it helps me make more sense of who I am and what have I, what have I experienced, you know? But... When you reject the past, that's when you get, and this, I mean, hmm. And there's there's more that goes into this because you got not just church history, but the church in America and North America, and you got, there's all kinds of factors that go in here. Um, but that's why you have so many young people feeling lost. And like you said, they're looking for something stable. They're looking for something that has a story and phrases like the mass of the ages, I mean, yeah. To a lost soul, who is who it, would not be attracted and, to that? And to add to that, and then how are yeah. they present the typical, the third typical edition of the Roman Missal? It's the Novus Ordo, which has never been its title, by the way. Never. Right. It's not its official title at all. It is, what does that mean? It's the new order, right? Yeah. The new order of the mass. It's not new, because what does new mean? It means it's not the same. It means there's nothing, there's nothing enduring here. And, and yeah. And and I'm not again. I'm not trying to impugn people one side or the other here. I'm just saying like yeah. our words matter here, and it's like and this is why like certain words they're not even consciously chosen, but they're chosen from this desire. 
right? Mm-hmm. Of I want stability. Well, that mass doesn't. St- so it's it's new. It's the Novus Ordo. I I tend to use that word more. Or the mass of the ages. It's stable. It's like yeah. But if you if you I'm reading uh, Bouye's liturgical piety right now for spiritual reading, and you uh, you learn very quickly <laughs> things uh, things. Uh, things aren't what we often see see think them to be because we don't shoot we don't deal with the history and this is the problem so we're, we're avoiding history we're avoiding yeah. history and, and and add to all this you also again have and it's weird because we're now coming out of that stage of like really most people who lived through or we're getting away from the stages of life where people who that there were people born during the uh, second world war like we're within yeah. 10 years that whole generation's gone, which is mm-hmm. weird to me because, like, I grew up. That was the the greatest generation, and everything, right? Mm-hmm. But like, this is why I'm so heavy on mediation because, like, our actions and words make something present more than we are even able to comprehend in the moment. Well, when you've just when humanity's killed itself in the trenches of Europe for 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 six years, uh, and you've almost annihilated each other. And that you're willing to even indiscri- well, not indiscriminately, but probably kind of indiscriminately kill life. Well, no, yeah. indiscriminately kill life through nuclear weapons, for example. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is soul destroying. And so you think everything I received growing up didn't give me it. 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 Ever. All these things really and truly. Uh, destroyed like the like so there's almost like if you're going to then move on from like those who are still on the cusp or around that era of the second world war to the their children the boomers uh late not so much late but maybe like mid to early boomers slash late gen z Mm uh or sorry gen x i should say one of the gens you know yeah (laughs) um again because these generational categories are not absolute okay they're not universal they're just right it's just but they help an overarching picture which is well what are you taught then the past sucks mm-hmm. look what it did to us look at how it hurt yeah. us mm-hmm. go figure yourself out try and build something new because mm-hmm. what we tried to build destroyed us mm-hmm. and so this is why your your gen x generation for example uh but then what does that happen in the church then Right, yeah, it leaves us, you know, lost, and that's part of the reason why I've tr- I've idealized learning the, if you will, traditional Latin mass, yeah. which is a phrase that I do not care for, but it's just easy that way. Yeah, I really like Benedict's extraordinary and ordinary form. Yeah, so do I. Um, yeah, but anyway, and then I kind of realized, like, I actually have no genuine authentic desire to learn this maybe to study right. it maybe to participate here and there whatever like i did a i was a sub at a wedding and that was a delightful experience really appreciated yep. it um but for me i want to celebrate um the ordinary form of the mass well and i am super blessed that i get to do that in my parish so praise god for my pastor in this parish mm-hmm. okay um and who knows how long that will even last uh, that all being said, like that gives me a genuine empathy right. for those who attend um, the traditional Latin Mass, the extraordinary form, and are now having that kind of you know, basically be crushed. Right. Uh, 
because I think, yes, are there a lot of crazy people on the internet who are like anti-Vatican II and all that? Absolutely. But like on both sides, folks. Also on both sides, on which both we don't sides. even pay attention to. And that's the you thing. Know? And this is what the, that's part of the problem is we start yeah. to take sides. The whole point mm-hmm. of the church is to not take sides, but to stand in the center of Christ. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as a pastoral so, solution, like, you should but, take that seriously. Like the, yeah. for, that we are actually in a stage of flux. Yes. And that's okay and to have like, multiple expressions right now. Yes. And I feel like the way everything has been handled with the um, with the Latin mass everything has been utterly unpastoral, uncaring, and unloving. Yep. And that's not just I mean, that's because I know in real life good, holy, normal Catholics who are just who just feel like they're being thrown out. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, like I said, I don't actually care that much about the extraordinary form of this. Like, I'm glad that it was going on in the church because I still feel like we have a lot to learn from it. But this is not how I wanted this topic to go, but I think this is fruitful and good anyway. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, any more thoughts about that before I move on? Yeah, just quickly is, yeah, like, I'm the same. I've, well, I thought I did for a while. I still have no problem learning. I actually, I think more and more I wouldn't mind learning it at some point. More just sure. to understand where we've come from. Yeah. Right? Because I, I asked, I asked, John Duchesne about this when he was telling us all the stuff about Bouillet and Concilium and everything. It's just like, it's so fast. It's just so cool. Uh, it was almost like hearing it from Bouillet himself, right? Who only died yeah. in 2004. Um, yeah. But I said, okay, listen, when you, you look clearly look at the third edition of the typical edition of the Roman Missal as it is right now, and you look at Sacrosanct and Concilium and you start putting them like side by side, you start to see that some things don't mesh. Right, mm-hmm. and then on the flip side, then you have the germ, the general instruction of the Roman mission, like what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do things, and then that doesn't always mesh in practice because one way or another, you're either seen as too liberal or too conservative. But yeah, my question to him was, why is it such a sacred cow that we can't have critical, charitably critical questions around how? the mass was implemented after the council. And he said, he kind of put up his arms. He goes, that is the question. And I said to him, I said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't say to him. I was thinking about this afterwards a bit. And I said to myself, I don't know if we're going to be able to ask that question for at least another 20 years because of the wounds, right? So, and I say all this because like, it's frustrating sometimes. I get it. Like, again, I I am fine with the ordinary form. I'd like to see a few changes in it, I think, myself, just mm-hmm. based on my studies and everything but it's also valid and it's what the church has given me and i trust the church and what is absolutely essential is there um so okay fine there could be some but like and i think i'm totally open to asking critical questions about this stuff but i also have to be patient because those who were so hurt by the church and her her ministers her members and stuff like that back in the day and they were legion Mm-hmm. By the way, folks, like, because this is part of the problem. We also don't hear how people were hurt. And so we can't be compassionate with that. And so there needs to be a certain patience and charity because whether we like it or not, this these people still deserve to be in the church too. Yeah. And it's by right by their baptism. <laughs> and so it's hard. That is hard. And like, I think like the next 20 years are going to be some of the hardest times post council honestly because 
it's now a do it's it's now becoming an emerging two-sided woundedness very much so and no one side's to blame over the other but it's like i think the way forward honestly is to say hey guess what we're all hurt let's 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 seek christ together in our woundedness and in our hurt yeah i mean in order to do that you have to believe in christ but anyway yeah um <laughs> sorry that's sorry. sassy this did not go where i wanted to go but i'm glad it went where it went if that makes sense yeah yeah because i knew and, where and you a wanted few more to thoughts go that's just, i think this is actually i was, I was like where, where's this going yeah um, no this can go totally somewhere different but this is fine i think it's um, good because i think like i think can i just one more thing please. with that is just, just i think if I'm understanding everything you're just trying to say, like this is a bit all over the place in a way, but in, not, in, but it's not. No. Cause I think we're both trying to say is maybe we all just need like, and let's actually practice some good synodality. <laughs> and like, yes, actually. And let's actually, actually listen to each other. Yes. With an open heart without saying it has to be this way and say, no, this is my experience of the church on one side. This is my experience of the church on the other side. And this is how it hurts sometimes. And it's this is what happens. Hey, this is what happens when you bureaucratically impose like liturgical reforms and stuff like that. Okay, it's mm-hmm. not always a good idea. Um, there a lot pretty much everyone's been hurt. <laughs> yes. And so why don't we start there? Mm-hmm. And then maybe that can become a place of communion again. The problem is that um, the scourge of moral moral relativism has so like struck fear into the hearts of Catholics that we then reject the idea of someone else's experience. Right. Like we are, we, we cannot just listen to another person's experience because we have to say whether that experience is objectively true or not right. as it relates to reality. And in so doing we, we're, we're messing up because one's experience is valid in, in as much as it is what it is, right? So like right. if I experience something, there is a truth to that. It may not be the truth. Right. I may have experienced something in a way that um, is different than the reality, but we don't then have to say that that experience is invalid. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, it, it's, it's, this is the thing. We're not trying to say everything's about experience. There is truth. Right. Yes. Because this is the thing. If you give people an opportunity to like take but. The subjective and the objective are both important. The subjective has to always be seen from the light of the objective. Mm-hmm. And the objective cannot be said in such a way that the subjective has no importance. Right. Right. Like there's a healthy balance in all of this. How does one, re- there is something about like how does one receive the truth in a way mm-hmm. without actually losing the truth? <laughs> um, yeah. It's a very difficult balance and not just moral relativism, just all sorts of intellectual currents that run through our, that were formed in today make that a very tricky thing. This is actually why I think the days of dumb priests have to be over. Not, sorry. And I'm not saying that dumb priests, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hold on. You know what I mean? Like, I don't First say, of all, I completely and utterly agree with you, but right. I'll give you a chance to save yourself. Go Thank ahead. Thank you. Okay, let me rephrase that a little bit. It's just to say that the priest who's just like, I don't care about theology. I just want to be a pastor. I don't think that works anymore. You can't be both. You can't be both anymore because the whole point of studying theology is to expand your like why can i honestly see all of this it's because of theology it stretched my brain in the right way rooted in christ to see the complexity of life and to say christ actually has an answer to all of this Mm -hmm. and so we need priests educated in that way to 
um, to properly pastor God's people. Yeah. So I think we need to tell each other our stories yep. and just listen to them. Yep. And that's a very difficult first step because there's going to be a lot of tension in there. And to, to listen to someone's story, which is not the same as your experience and which you may feel like threatens your ideals, and maybe it actually really does threaten your ideals, to still hold that intention while you genuinely listen and share your own story, that's a deep act of sacrificial love. Yep. And we have to be able to do that in our presbyterates and we have yes. to be able to do that as a church in general. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, um, I think... But to do that properly mm-hmm. means we need to create space and time for that. Yes. And that's hard to do when we're all already stretched to the limit. Exactly. What what will priests say when they hear that? It's ah oh, crap, another thing I have to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. And so yeah. I wanted to maybe I'll share that for my, my next time I'm leading an episode because we had some hits and we had some misses in my priest council and not my priest council in our convocation and attempting to do that. Yeah. So but at least we've kind of laid out this general dynamic now. Maybe I'll I'll revisit yep. it later. Maybe I won't, who yeah. knows? But, uh, I think it was a good way because I think in some ways, like I know what you're trying to get to earlier, but I think this actually is more broadly what everyone is experiencing. So mm-hmm, like, like with my young adults group, I want to in the in the next semester at some point host it at one or two older parishioners homes. Yeah. And I want them to hear their experiences of it because like you pointed at a, but also they, the older people hear their stuff too. Right. And, yeah. and and if things challenge your ideology, it's a good thing because to be Catholic is to not be ideological. That's that's actually a whole thing. Yes. Ideology is not All right, Catholic. my friend. Yeah. You have to go to spiritual direction. Yes, I do. I have to go to my day off fully. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please check out our Patreon uh, at uh, patreon.com slash clerically speaking. Also, as I mentioned beforehand, I, with my good friend uh, Taylor Schroll over the Forte Catholic podcast, we are going to Rome, and we would like for you to join us. We're going uh, next year, June 19th through the 29th. We'll be checking out uh, the Vatican, of course, Assisi, Florence, Tuscany. It's going to be a great time, and we'd really like you to join us. For more information, uh, contact Select International Tours at Rebecca R-E-B- E-C-C-A at select-intl.com Just go to selectinternationaltours.com and you can find us. And that'd be great if you join us because it'll be a great time. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me taking a nap. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison whenever I'm on it lately. Yeah, <laughs> contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. If you actually find me taking a nap, go away. You've invaded my personal space. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericalspeaking at gmail.com. Do you have a theological emergency? Call 412-912-7995. That's 412-912-7995. Peace. God bless.